All right, Brentwood Church, it's good to be back. Most of you know that my family and I have been away from Brentwood and from Lynchburg on a four-week sabbatical. Uh, what is that? Well, that's something that, uh, it's, it's a blessing, honestly, that our senior leaders give to our ministry staff for every seven years of full-time service. And it's specifically for the purpose of rest and rejuvenation. And this was my second sabbatical as your lead pastor I'm telling you what, it was equally, if not more, restful and rejuvenating than the first. So I am so grateful uh, to our senior leadership teams uh, for gifting our family with this time. Uh, But also, I am so grateful for our church staff and our lay leaders for serving so well while my family was away. Can can we give them a hand? Can, can Can we do that right now? I mean, what an amazing job. Just the communicators... Uh, the people who were leading ministries and making decisions. I'm just so proud of our team and so grateful. Um, and and, and um, here's what I've been doing for the past month. Uh, my family and I went on a westward-bound road trip from here in Virginia uh, all the way to California and back. And we sort of did a lasso uh, there at St. Louis. We went up north and then came back around. Basically, it was Lewis and Clark meets Clark Griswold. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been on that trip before. Um, but by day two of our trip, I mean, we, we booked it out um, to St. Louis by day two. Uh, we were right there at the Gateway Arch, uh, the big arch there in St. Louis, and the museum. We were down there visiting the museum. It's right underneath the arch. Uh, some of you have been there before. You know what I'm talking about. And honestly, this whole experience was sort of symbolic because... Um, It is exactly where Lewis and Clark stood two centuries before us to launch a quest to explore and then to map out what we know today as the Louisiana Purchase. Basically, all that land west of the Mississippi River. So give yourself some American history points right there. All right? So I'm standing there at the arch, and I look over at my two sons, Ethan and Chase, And I asked something like this. I said, do you guys ever wonder what makes us want to leave what's comfortable to us and go on adventures and take risk and test what we're made of? You ever wonder that? And one of my sons said, what? I said, dopamine. Yeah. Now, some of you are wondering if dopamine is that recreational plant in Colorado. It's not quite that. Um, So I go on to explain to my my boys that dopamine is a hormone that God put in our brains that surges through us when we experience something new and exciting. Like when we're seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time or when we're eating a cronut for the first time. Some of you have done that before. And, and your body releases this hormone, and it says, this is good. You should, you should go and do these things more. And so I went on to explain that it's one of God's ways that he incentivizes our bodies and our brains to get off the couch and to leave home and to discover something new. And I said, you guys are going to experience a lot of dopamine on this trip. Again, I'm not talking about the kind... They smoke in Colorado, although they did see some of that, too, because we did go through uh, that state. But here's the point. The Holy Spirit gives us 
new words from the same gospel. New words from God that are rooted in his good news. The good news that doesn't change. But he gives us these new discoveries within that same message. Why? Why does he do that? To take us to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. To new and deeper levels of thriving in our faith and being effective in our witness and the proclamation of the gospel in our life. Now, I understand that not everyone here today is a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ. And some of that just went right over your head. And I get that. But I am so glad you're here today. And you get to see something today. And you get to discover something today that I believe will, want, will, will compel you to want to take a step forward in a followership in Jesus Christ. Today, Brentwood Church, I believe there is some undiscovered and untapped power inside of so many of you that is not being recognized and not being unleashed in your life or has been dormant for seasons. Let me go ahead and say this. God saves us by grace. You got to know that today and you're going to hear that today. And he also gifts us by grace. Well, what does that mean, he gifts us? He, he puts specific gifts in us to serve and to change the world, to bring about the kingdom reality on this earth. And I'm not talking about just singing in the choir and making cookies for a church bake sale. Okay, I'm not talking about that. Those things are good. And, and yeah, th- those will sort of fall in line with what I'm talking about. I'm talking, though, about supernatural giftings that changes you when you understand them and you express them in the body of Christ in the world you've in place and the people that you influence. Uh, J. Oswald Sanders, he wrote a classic book called Spiritual Leadership. I mean, it's one that I I suggest every uh, spiritual leader read. And this, this is what he says in the book. He says, Christians everywhere have undiscovered and unused spiritual gifts. They must help bring those gifts into the service of the kingdom to develop them to marshal their power. Let's face it. There are a lot of Christ followers out there who are living powerless lives. Yeah, they go to church and, and, and they kind of go through the motions and they hear the sermons and, and, and they even read their Bibles. But there's some stuff they're not recognizing and using and that is their spiritual gifts. Think about it. Some of you know you have natural talents and abilities that help you with your job and they're helping you with your pastimes and, man, you love it because you're expressing it. Some of you might say, on the other hand, man, I feel completely inept and talentless. And I've lived on both extremes. I mean, I've been in both of those places before. But what does God want us to do about that? What does he want us to do about maybe that, that natural talent and ability that we're just sort of using for our own self-indulgence? What, what, what about that person here today who's just like, man, I don't know what I'm good at, honestly. Like, you talk about being gifted, man. I don't feel like I'm gifted at all. Now, others of you, you would admit you have passions. You have interests that you're tapping into right now 
in your family life and in your career life, even in your church life, and you love it. I mean, you're feeling alive in that. You, I, mean, you, I mean, you can't wait to, to, to get out and tell your stories. But you know what? Some, some of you, you would just say, man, I, I'm sort of giving up on expressing those things because I, I just don't know how to, and I don't even know what I'm good at. And you feel sort of like a talentless drone sometimes at work. You know, I'm just kind of, you know, doing these rote tasks and, and, and I feel like a, a machine. Or may, maybe you feel that way in your family. Maybe you even feel that way in your church. And personally, I have felt those same things uh, one time or another in my life. It, it's, it's those moments where you're sort of at that archway and you're like, okay, what's out there? So what does God want us to do about that? What does he, if he saves us by grace, what does it mean that he gifts us by that same grace? That he rescues us, but he also wants to use us. Here's the good news. God wants to show us all how he has gifted us to thrive in our faith and dynamically affect our circles of influence. Here it is again. God saves us by grace. Yes, he does. And, and, and grace and grace alone, his favor and forgiveness. But he also gifts us by grace. He puts giftings in us to use. So if you've been asking God, how am I supposed to use these natural talents to thrive in faith? And how am I supposed to, to use this to affect my circles of influence? Because right now, if I'm honest, I, I seem pretty self-indulgent or those things seem pretty dormant in my life. Well, this series, this series is going to enlighten you and it's going to empower you. Or, or maybe you've been asking, you know, God, why does it seem like everyone else around me knows what they're doing with their life and what they're good at and, and their faith and, and their abilities? But me, like, I don't seem to know that. Well, li- listen, this series is going to enlighten and empower you as well. So let's jump in. Romans chapter 11. The book of Romans chapter 11. I want to give you a little bit of context. I'm going to give you a little bit of history on this. The Roman church was, well, it was in Rome. So there you go. Now, I want you to think of Rome like Russell Russell Crowe in the the movie Gladiator. You know, a million plus people and most of them were slaves. And and, and then there was these elite factions uh, of the Roman leadership, uh, including Caesar uh, and all of them are coexisting in a city uh, that has these polarities. There's poverty, and then there's palaces. There's the abject poor, and then there's the aristocracy. And, and they're all sort of in this, in this one city running this and building this empire across the known world. And yet, the church in Rome was asking similar questions. We know and believe the gospel, but what's next in the journey? How are we supposed to affect this city that we live in? Like, like how are we supposed to spread this good news? How is our church supposed to be more and more effective in where we're placed and what's going on here? Well, guess what? They're headed for a dopamine moment because the Apostle Paul is going to write them a letter. Now, to understand this letter, we've got to understand this church a little bit more. Here's how this church most likely launched. Uh, Jews from Rome 
pilgrimage to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Okay, that is ground zero day for the church. Fifty days after uh, Jesus' resurrection and, and, and some days after his ascension, there was the day of Pentecost. And these Jews came to the city of Jerusalem and they experienced something there. And that was the gospel. And then they returned home to establish what we know today as the church in Rome. So these people came to Jerusalem as Roman Jews or Jews who lived in Rome. And they left there spirit-filled and baptized Christ followers. I mean, it was, it was a revival. So I want you to track with me. Decades before this letter was even written to them, the letter to the Romans, by the Apostle Paul, these believers heard the Apostle Peter preach the very first sermon in the very first church service or gathering in Acts chapter 2. Read that later. It's a powerful message uh, that Peter preached. They all believed and they were given the Holy Spirit. They got baptized and then they got out of town. Right? They, they headed back to Rome. And then what happened? They left there and they went back to establish the church in Rome. And they began to spread the message of Jesus Christ in their city, among their neighbors and their friends and so on. Now, check it out. They had no New Testament. The New Testament hadn't, be, hadn't even been written yet. They had no instruction manual. I mean, uh, none of the original uh, disciples or apostles said, hey, before you guys leave to go to Rome, hey, here's the instruction manual on how to be a healthy, thriving, effective church back in, uh, in the capital of the Roman Empire. No, they didn't have any of that. They were missing some really big teachings on how to thrive and be effective Christ followers. They had the main thing, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, he, he, he is... God's gift of salvation. They had the Holy Spirit. They, they, had, they had the community of the Christ, Christ followers. But they were missing some really big teaching. So, so the Apostle Paul, who they didn't even know yet, wrote them a letter that is this letter we're going to see today. Now, what were some of the teaching or what was a big teaching that they were missing? We're going to get to that in just a second. So... On top of all of that, they had no New Testament, they had no manual, they had the gospel, they had the Holy Spirit, and they had each other, okay? It is quite possible that these believers had been a local church for years and had little to no apostolic leadership. What is apostolic leadership? That is the original disciples and Paul, okay? They had none of that, nor had they received any doctrinal teaching from the Jerusalem church leadership. And if that's not crazy enough, they had never even met Paul and only knew him by reputation in the worldwide church at the time. So we might assume this, and I would assume this, okay? Uh, I've been leading and a part of the church long enough. I would just assume with no Bible, with no instruction manual, with no apostolic accountability and leadership, man, I would just assume... By the time Paul writes this letter, you know, years into this church, that, man, it's in shambles. Like most of the Greek churches that Paul directly planted, you know, where he's writing them about sin issues and disunity and false teachers and weird gospels. I mean, 
We might assume all that. We might assume that they had some bad theology going on. We might assume that there was disunity. We might assume that there's some big sin issues that were tearing this church apart. Because why? Because they had no New Testament. They had no apostolic oversight. I mean, they were just out in Rome with each other, the Holy Spirit, and the message of the gospel. And we might assume all of those things were tearing this church apart. If we assumed that, we would be wrong. In fact, this church, with no New Testament, with no apostolic leadership, only each other, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel, they were thriving at a certain level. And here's the thing. They were just ready for the next thing. They were ready for what was new and deeper that would help them go to the next level, that would help them thrive at the next level, that would help them be more effective for their city, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Paul says nothing in this letter about false gospels, really about any sin issues. I mean, he talks about respecting the government and each other and, and that sort of thing, but, but, but he doesn't talk about disunity. Instead, what does he look at? He, he just spends the first 11 chapters telling and retelling them the gospel. Look what he says, verse 5 of chapter 11. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen, there was a remnant chosen by grace. Let me say that again. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. What does Paul say here? And there's some verses that will give you some, some, some context above that. But basically, he compares these Jewish Christ followers in the city of Rome, living in the Roman Empire, to the faithful remnant in Israel's history, the Old Testament history, of, of the prophet Elijah. And there was this conversation that Elijah has with God, you know, I'm the only one, and and God says, no, I've, I, there's 7,000 who still believe. It's a cool story. Read it later. But basically what Paul is saying is, hey, you guys are like that remnant. And he uses the phrase chosen by grace. Chosen by grace. And then he writes that word a few more times. Look at verse 6. And if by grace, when it cannot be based upon works, then it cannot be based upon works. If it were, grace, there it is again, would no longer be Grace, 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 grace. Now, for some of you, you know, you're new to church. You would even say, man, I, I, I'm not even, I'm not, I don't even follow Jesus, but I'm here today. When you hear the word grace, you know, there's kind of a cliche. You, know, you, you think of, of, of a blonde-haired girl that you may have dated in high school or that you, you were on the, on the track team with, okay? <laughs> what, what is grace? And, and here's what... Here's what, here's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's spending the first 11 chapters teaching and reteaching them about grace and about how the gospel, the good news, is, is based upon this idea of grace, that salvation from sin and death, it's all about grace. Because why? Because members of, of this church, these believers, man, they used to be Jews, and now they're Jewish Christians living in Rome and they've got to know, hey, what is the foundation of your salvation? And that is grace. What does grace mean? It means God's favor and forgiveness. Plain and simple. Paul spends 11 chapters going through Old Testament history 
and using illustration after illustration to explain and re-explain to these outpost Christians in the Roman Empire, hey, don't forget, you guys are a remnant, you are an outpost, and what has saved you and what, what God has done for you is he's giving you his grace. It's not about religious heritage that saves you. It's not about religious hustling. In other words, it's not about who your daddy was. Because your dad was an Old Testament, you know, believing Jew, practicing Jew, that you were saved. No, it's not about your religious hustling. It's not about how good and smart and religious you are. We are saved because God chose us and sent his son Jesus Christ and therefore offered us favor and forgiveness through Jesus' life through his death on a cross, and through his resurrection from the dead. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Some of you need to hear that today. Because you've never heard or you've never been clear about what God's really done for you through Jesus Christ. Think about it. He's chosen to save you from sin and death on his own gift of grace. You know, maybe you've been, you know, you've been saying stuff like, well, my parents and even my wife is a Christian. So I kind of guess I am. And I guess I, I guess that means I'm, I'm in, I'm good with God. Or you, you might say, you know, I go to church a lot, try to get there as much as I can. I do nice things for people. So, so I guess I'm cool with God. Listen, the message of grace is that we are only cool with God now and forever because we admit that we are broken and we need God's forgiveness and salvation. And you know what? You can do that today. And we, we, we want to invite you. Before this time is over, we want to invite you to let this church come around you and pray that and speak that into your life. <clears throat> but some of you, some of you have been living in the strength and the power of that message for seasons. I mean, you, you know, you, 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 the first 11 chapters of Romans, you're just like, yes, bring it. Yes, yes, yes. Once again, though, that's what Paul does for the first 11 chapters. He just kind of tells and retells and explains and re-explains grace. Paul uses all these relevant illustrations from Old Testament history. You know, Adam and Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Esau and King David and a few more, Elijah. We've already seen that. Why does he do that? Because he wants to help them see the gospel more clearly. Now, I want to be honest. Some of you sit in church season after season, and you hear sermon after sermon about all of these people, uh, about how they point to grace and how they point to gospel, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But you're still asking, like, what's next? You know, I kinda, I'm, I'm, here at, I'm, I'm here in St. Louis, and I know there's this whole other thing out there what what's what's beyond this now did i mention that god saves us by grace but he also gifts us by grace what what does that even mean think about it even though even though that this roman church has been an outpost church no new testament no apostolic accountability they have held tight to the same message of christ for decades so why would Paul spend so many chapters explaining what they already know? I mean, like, 
just go to chapter one, explain it one time, and then spend the, the next 15 chapters talking about how it works out practically and supernaturally in their life. Why 11 chapters? I think a lot of you, if you were sitting there listening to this letter, read to you aloud in this gathering, you, you might be tempted to, to say, you know, Paul, thank you, but man, I know and believe this stuff. What I really want to know is, how does this get practically and supernaturally worked out in my life and in my world and with my friends and, and with my church? And if that's what you're feeling, or some of you might be feeling something a little bit deeper than that. You're waiting to hear. You're waiting to hear something profound from God. You're ready to go to the next level. You're waiting to go to a new and a deeper place. Brentwood Church, I believe the same thing is going on in our church that was going on in the Roman church. Yes, we need to constantly hear and rehear what the gospel and grace means. Forgiveness and favor. Favor and forgiveness. And everything that those embody. But we also need to know how practically and supernaturally to express the gift and the giftings that God has implanted within us through his spirit and through his grace to help us thrive and affect the circles of influence that he has placed us in, in this, in this city, in this state, in this country, in this world. Some of you might be feeling, you might be feeling that right now, just that excitement and that angst, like what is next in my faith? It's sort of that spiritual dopamine that's saying, go out there and get it. What is that new and that deeper step? Well, that's where the, Paul, or where the Apostle Paul makes a dramatic shift from the first 11 chapters to the last five chapters of this book. So when we turn the page from Romans 11 to Romans 12, something profoundly different shifts in Paul's focus to these believers. Look what, he's, look what he says. <clears throat> he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So, there, there it is. As you humbly see God's mercy and grace in your life, his favor and forgiveness in your life, this is what you should do. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Not just your physical bodies, but, but your entire essence, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So if you want to worship God, there's something that should be happening in your life. And there's a lot there. But what Paul is leading them into is how the gospel and how grace gets tangibly expressed in their life. The implication is God's favor and his forgiveness, it's all over us. Man, he favors you. He forgives you. He loves you. But guess what? He has also gifted you to have a tangible act of worship. Now, let me go deeper in this. Verse 3. For by the grace given me, there it is again, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. I love what Eugene 
Peterson says about this verse. He says, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us. Not by what we are and what we do for him. So, who are we in light of who God is? We are rescued by his grace, by his favor and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And we are gifted by that same grace. Check this out. The moment that we accept God's favor and his forgiveness through Christ is the moment that he says, I have put some stuff in you that I want you to unleash. And when you unleash it, it is your true and proper form of worship. Mm. And if you were sitting there and you had been in this church for years, and the pastor of the church through the spirit and through the community and through whatever teachings that they had, had gotten uh, along the way, and you, and you heard this for the first time, you would be shaking. You would be like, wow. Like, not only has God saved me through grace, but he has empowered me. He's empowered me. He's gifted me. I have a purpose in God's plan to change. And he's gifted me. He's given me what it takes to see that happen. And when I understand it, when I discover it, and when I, when I practice and live it out, man, I am, it is my proper and true form of worship. God's just like, yes, yes. Now, some of you may have forgotten that. Some of you, man, that might be the first time you've heard that. But, but here's what I want you to do. And I, I want you to play along. It's going to be a, a little awkward at first, but I, I just want you to do this with me. Everybody's going to do it so you don't have to feel like, ah, you know. I, I just want you to look to the person beside you and say, God favors you. Go ahead, say it. God favors you. Come on. God favors you. God forgives you. Say that to the person beside you. God forgives you. Yeah. He does. He forgives you. Now, here's the last one. Last one, okay? God has gifted you. Go ahead, say it. God has gifted you. God has gifted you. Man, that's powerful. And what are the plans? What are the giftings that God has given you? Let's, let's go deeper in this. Look, at, look what he says. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So, so what was Paul doing here? He's, he's using a metaphor, verse 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the other bodies. So he does what he does best. He's, he's, a, he, he's, he's a really prolific writer, and he, and he uses the illustration of the human body. And I love this stuff because Paul profoundly uses this picture to say, this is like the church body, both the local and the global body. Now, of course, he didn't know about DNA and biochemistry at the time he was writing this, but we do. And so think about what forms and binds our human bodies together at, I mean, the cellular level. It's a common DNA. And it's the same thing in the church body, there's a common DNA that binds us together. The gospel, okay, the good news of Jesus, grace, God's 
favor and forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, God's voice, God's leadership in us, his presence in our, in our, in our soul, in our heart, but also something else. And what is it? Look what he says. Verse 6. We have different gifts. There it is. It is the common DNA that binds us together. The gospel, the Holy Spirit, and the gifts that God has given each of us that when fully functional and everybody understanding and discovering those gifts, wow, look out. We thrive and we are more effective as individuals, as families, and as a church. Wow. On our road trip, my kids uh, red boxed the first Captain America movie. Some of you, you've seen that, the first Avenger. And so they're, they're watching it in the back, and, and I got to hear it again and not necessarily watch it again. I promise I wasn't watching and driving at the same time. So there's this scene when, you know, scrawny, skinny Steve Rogers enters the transformation chamber and, and, you know, they close it and there's all these machines, you know, hissing and, and, you know, all these things, you know, kind of knobs that they're turning and, and they shoot this sort of Red Bull superhero energy into him. And, and as they start to crank it up and, you know, you can hear him kind of, you know, you know, yelling out and he's like, don't stop, you know, like give it all. And they crank it all the way up and stuff starts blowing up and exploding and finally emerges a different Steve Rogers. Now the bigger, stronger, faster, more muscular Steve Rogers slash Captain America. I mean, it's a powerful scene. And, and I want you to get that scene in your head because in the same way, we are given something powerful that changes and empowers us. And look where it comes from. Not from some machine designed by Tony Stark. No, where does it come from? According to the grace given to each of us. There is grace again. But now Paul explains grace in a greater meaning for these ready and willing Christians. Now, grace not only means favor and forgiveness of God, but it also means gifted and empowered by God. Gifted. So not only am I favored by God, but I am also gifted and empowered by him. God God saves us by grace, but he also gifts us by grace. Wow. And and here's, here's what... Here's what we're going to discover over the next few weeks. That that there's three kinds of spiritual gifts that God wants to unleash inside of all Christ followers. And man, when we get a hold of these and we start going to to, to, to the next level of expressing these gifts, wow, we, we go to new places of thriving in our faith, and new levels of impact among our circles of influence. And these, these categories, they're not original to me, but these are the categories that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. First, there's motivational gifts. Motivation, what, what is that? These are how God works in a believer to shape our life perspective. 
our relationships, our role in the church. There are seven of these, and we're going to talk about these. There are seven of these, and you are gifted with one or more of them if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are empowered to motivate. Some of you say, well, I'm not really a motivator. That's not kind of, you know, I enjoy a good motivator. Listen, God has empowered you with a gift to motivate people in the body of Christ and people in the world around you. Next, there's ministry gifts. Ministry gifts. Uh, these are, are gifts um, that, that basically they're God's work in us to help serve and meet the needs of other people. And, and not just in the church, but, but beyond the church. And there are five of these gifts. And you are gifted with one or more of these gifts. You are empowered to minister. And we're going to talk about those. And then there is the manifestation gifts. And this is where it kind of gets pretty exciting and maybe a little terrifying for some of you. This is how God works through a believer in a given situation to demonstrate his supernatural power. Yeah. Like, like you are obedient and you are humble and you are courageous in a moment or in a situation to let that gifting be a supernatural power that points a person to God. And there are nine of these, and you are gifted with one or more of them. You are empowered to manifest the supernatural. Yes. Yes, I said it. Now, how many of you are ready to go to the next level of God's grace in your life? Okay, that's not rhetorical. Like, like, how many of you are like sitting at the gateway arch and you're like, man, I want to see some stuff. I want to see some amazing things happen. If so, then man, you are going to discover how God has gifted you in all these ways. And, and to motivate, to minister, to manifest. And then you're going to start applying them. And here's the promise, Brentwood Church. You and I will thrive and you and I will be more effective in our circles of influence and the city in which God has placed us. Just like this church in Rome. I'm telling you what happened. When the Jerusalem church got, got persecuted and eventually had to leave with the destruction of that city, the church of Rome would eventually become the epicenter of the missionary activity. I mean, that church, man, it would do some powerful things to spread the good news around the known world. And here's all I want us to do today. If you're ready to know your gifts, then today, during our, our response time, as we sing and as we pray and as we respond, pray, pray right now and, and even pray this week, God, give me ways to express these gifts in this church and beyond. I'm ready, God. Just pray that. And you know what? If you don't know your gifts, if maybe this is new or renewed for you, then just pray right now and, and pray this week. God, would you, would you make these gifts that you've put in me, would you make them clear through, through my personal study and through this, through this biblical teaching, through this series? I'm telling you what. If you, you ask God for wisdom and you ask him for that revelation, he will give it to you. Now, 
if you know what your gifts are and you've been neglecting them or you've been misusing them or you've been abusing them, then today, today is a day that you can confess that to God and you can know that his grace will renew you. And so during our time of response, of singing and praying and response, just pray though, just say, God, I'm ready. And as always, I want to invite you to come down to our response stations for any kind of confession or intercession. If you just want to pray for somebody and, and you want to make that public, if you want to take uh, believers' communion, please, you know, come down here and make that known. And if you're here today and you're just like, wow, I walked in here and I did not have faith in Jesus Christ, but today I want to take a step in that. I want to invite you to come down here, come down to the front and let this church introduce you to Jesus Christ for the very first time. We want to, we would love to see that happen in your life. Would you stand? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, right now, I ask in Jesus' name that you gift this church to not only reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ, but to change the world. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray this.